Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom and welcome to today's edition of Daily Duff Differently. Uh, again, I'm David Wise, Rabbi of the Hollis Hills Jewish Center in Queens. Today we'll study Eruvin Pei Hey, page 85 of Tractate Eruvin. The first topic of discussion on this page is the status of a pit that is between two chatzerot and equidistant from each and then what alterations the residents of each must make in order to be able to draw water from that pit on Shabbat. Rav Yehuda brings one opinion in the name of his teacher, Rav, and a second opinion that he presents as his own, both of which require some modification to the Chatzirot in order to use the pit. Two generations of scholars later, Abaye claims that the opinion Rav Yehuda presents as his own is actually the opinion of Shmuel. The point of contention is whether or not Adam oser al derech avir. Does a person who handles an object on Shabbat through the air, that is, by tossing it horizontally, forbid another person from handling said object? Rav explicitly places no such limitations, and Shmuel does. And then the Gemara proceeds to challenge whether Shmuel and Rav actually hold such opinions. The most fascinating attempt to verify these great sages' opinions is made by Rabbi Eliezer Bar Rav, who, upon hearing a ruling taught in Rav's name, just can't believe it. He wants to get to the truth right from the source. And so he says, show me where he lives. He then goes to Rav's home and asks him, did you really say this? When Rav answers in the affirmative, the precocious student challenges him with the master's own words from another context. When Rav has deftly deflected the challenge, we can comfortably say that he does indeed rule that one does not create a prohibition for someone else, derech avir, by making an object airborne. Perhaps more importantly, we learn that the best way to clarify someone's opinion is to go directly to the source, if possible. Credit to Rabbi Eliezer Barberav for taking the initiative. One more matter related to this discussion deserves our attention. Rav Papa asks his teacher, Rava, if it was fair to claim that Shmuel disagrees with Rav Dimi, for Rav Dimi reported Rabbi Yochanan's tradition from Eretz Yisrael that rendered a more lenient ruling than that of Shmuel. Rava responds with a philosophical claim about the difference between Rishuyot de Oraita, the Torah's definition of domains, and Rishuyot de Rabbanan, rabbinic definitions of domains. Rav Dimi's lenient ruling was about a biblical definition, and 
believing that people would treat such situations with utmost caution, after all, it comes right from the Torah, well, Ravdimi felt no need to ask, add restrictive rulings. Shmuel's opinion, on the other hand, dealt with Rushu Yot de Rabbanan, a rabbinic definition, which apparently needed extra teeth. Chachamim asu chizuk lidivrehem yoter michel Torah. The sages strengthened their words more than they did the words of the Torah. That leads to a really interesting question. Do rabbinic rulings gain more credence with the public when they are restrictive? Is saying no the only way that rabbinic authorities become more authoritative? The next Mishnah of chapter 8 is also on Eruvin Pei Hei and appears on Amud Bet. The Mishnah lists structures that are considered dwelling places and others that are not. The Eruv must be placed in a structure that is fit for someone to live in. So, if I place the Eruv in a Beit Sha'ar, which for us would be like a guard's booth, it's not a valid Eruv. And if I choose to spend Shabbat in that guard's booth, but I didn't chip into the communal Eruv, I wouldn't invalidate existing communal efforts to make an Eruv. Other structures are considered fit for placing an Eruv, and if someone spent Shabbat there, they would have to chip into the communal Eruv, or else they would invalidate it. Such places include storage facilities for straw, and wood and produce, or even a cattle pen. Rabbi Yehuda, at the end of the Mishnah, adds one caveat, though it's a point of disagreement with the Tanakama, the Mishnah's anonymous voice. If the owner of the above list of properties leaves evidence of usage, what the Mishnah calls tfisat yad, well then the non-participation in the Eruv of a visitor or a squatter doesn't undo that Eruv. We'll return tomorrow to the topic of Tfisat Yad. The first sugya that elaborates on this Mishnah deals primarily with the difference between an Eruv and a Shituf. We saw elsewhere in Masechet Eruvin that an Eruv Chatzerot pools the resources of the residents who share a courtyard, while a Shituf Mivoot enables residents of multiple courtyards to share an alleyway. In the midst of the ensuing discussion about the difference between the two terms, and whether they're in fact used interchangeably sometimes, we have an Amoraic statement by Rav Yehuda in the name of Shmuel that I found interesting, and I think you will as well. Here's the scenario. If neighbors were enjoying a communal meal together, v'kadash alehem hayom, literally the day sanctified upon them. Figuratively, Shabbat began before they finished Friday lunch. So the ruling of Rav Yudah in the name of Shmuel is that whatever pot, whatever bread is on the table can be relied upon as an eruv, though some say he meant for a shituf. Now, what an odd dynamic this is being painted here. 
Friday lunch has extended for so long that no one thought to stop in time for Shabbat, to prepare for Shabbat, to leave room for a festive meal on Shabbat in their stomachs, or to set aside an Eruv or Shituf so they can carry outside the walls of their homes on Shabbat. How were they going to clean up from this never-ending lunch if they didn't notice that Shabbat is upon them? Kadash Alehem Hayom. I suppose that's the utilitarian element of this halachic ruling. Leftovers become the Eruv or the Shituf and save the preoccupied feasters from Shabbat isolation. I think it's fascinating that there's not a word in the Gemara about the social dynamics of an Arab Shabbat meal that nearly compromises Shabbat in legal terms, and even more so, what such an ill-timed meal does to the aesthetics of Shabbat. What happened to the idea of going into Shabbat with a hearty appetite so as to enjoy Su'udat Shabbat, its festive meal, making it the pinnacle festive meal of the week? Instead, it seems that the Gemara has tunnel vision here and can only see the legal implications of an accidental Eruv. In the scope of things, I suppose we should be grateful that the ruling is permissive. And it's good to know that leftovers can also serve a sacred purpose. That brings us to the end of Pay Hey, page 85 of Eruvine. We'll continue tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.